there, and welcome to the PCF Bible Podcast. My name is Brenea, and I'm here with my colleagues. Hi, I'm Anna. Hello, I'm Sky. And we are here to continue our year-long overview of the Bible. Now, last week, we talked about how God delivered his people from captivity, and we focused on how the key salvation story of the Old Testament, so the Exodus, God delivering his people from Egypt, is a paradigm for the salvation story of the New Testament, and that's our salvation story through Jesus Christ. And this week, we are going to continue on in Exodus to talk about one of the main ways God relates to his people. Now, to get us started here, I want to acknowledge that we all describe ourselves in relation to other things, right? Or maybe in relationships. So if you're listening to this podcast and you were asked to describe yourself, you might say that you're a student. Um, You might mention your nationality, your ethnic background, your gender. Um, But would you say that you are married, right? Most of us, the answer would be no. But if you are a Christian, technically you are. All right. So I know hopefully we've got you intrigued now. What? I'm married? (laughs) Oh, we thought it was just (laughs) Bernaya. The idea that God views his people as a spouse isn't my idea. Rather, it's an idea and a truth revealed by God in scripture. Okay. So in the Old Testament, we read in Isaiah 54 verse five, for your maker is your husband. The Lord almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. And then there's also an extended passage in Ephesians, uh, which is in the New Testament, that refers to this as well. Um, And I'm just going to pull one key verse from this passage in um, chapter 5. It's verse 32, where Paul says, This mystery, so referring to the covenant of marriage, is profound. And I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So here we have two really explicit ways in which it's saying, like, us as the body of Christ um, are considered to be in a marriage covenant with God. Um, so if we're just talking about a marriage covenant, Anna, Sky, I would love to pick your brains. Like, what are some aspects about what we are looking for when we say the word marriage? Just kind of what comes to mind? Uh, well, the first word is just commitment. Um, commitment, this kind of <laughs> eternal till death do we part. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just think, I mean, a commitment is a big deal. And the marriage is a big deal. You know, if someone gets married, it's a huge life event. It's life changing. You know, they, they have a spouse, they generally change where they're living, their location, their finances, like the way that they do everything adjusts to the fact that they're married. Um, So it's something that we get excited about that we plan many months in advance often for the ceremony and all those things. So I just think of it as a big life changing event that sort of touches on every aspect of your life. Yeah, I love that description. It really is a big deal, Um, right? Like when a man and a woman get married, like they covenant to be faithful to one another. Like you said, Sky, this commitment to serve and love one another through better or worse, sickness or death, riches or poverty. Um, So when God and his people make a covenant with one another um, and it's to be viewed as marriage, this is like two parties pledging to be faithful to one another no matter what, right? This is a big deal and it's an amazing gift, right? That God views us, um, the church as his spouse, and that we see this evident both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. 
Okay, so the covenant that we have with God as his people will be our focus today. And we're going to dive into this as we read Exodus 19 and 20, which covers the Ten Commandments. So to start us off, let's just do a brief review um, of what we've read in Genesis and Exodus so far. But in particular, let's do it um, thinking about the biblical history through the lens of God and his people as a husband and wife. Okay, so let's kind of look back at it, but let's look at it through this lens of, okay, if we're going to consider this as a marriage covenant, um, what do we see, what do we observe? So Sky, Anna, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, first we kind of have to have the parties in the covenant meet and decide that these are the people they want to enter the covenant with. And that's what we saw with God choosing Abraham in Genesis 12, uh, where he chooses him there just to be the recipient of blessing. But then he sort of chooses Abraham's children and descendants to be his people and a special a people that are special to him. And so Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, which is a couple books later in the Old Testament, reflects on this. And it says, that God has chosen Israel to be a people for his treasured possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. It was not because you were you Israel were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you for you were the fewest of all peoples, but it is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath he swore to your fathers. So just that language of the Lord set his love on you and chose you. And then it's kind of circular because he loves you. And that's really reminiscent of a marriage covenant for us. Like, I love you because I love you. Um, so it starts out with that. Yeah, and picking up on that, like choosing and that love that continues um, with Exodus. And um, in the beginning of Exodus, uh, Israel is in slavery. Um, and really here we see God reaching out to the people to demonstrate his love to them, reaching out to pursue them. Um, he saves them. He redeems them. He's rescuing them from their bondage in Egypt, in slavery, where they were utterly helpless. Um, they were powerless to save themselves. So God's really reaching out to show that he loves them. And God does this in a remarkable way. Um, he gives so many powerful demonstrations of his power, of what he can do. Um, he does all of these things to rescue these people um, and to really show them that he cares for them, that he loves them. That's awesome. And, you know, when we're thinking about this, it's like, right, maybe the most epic love story ever. We see God choosing his people and then pursuing his people. Um, and now we see this this what we're going to see in Exodus 19 and 20 is kind of like the ceremony, this covenant becoming official in this very special way. God is going to covenant himself, make a promise, commit himself again to his people. And they are going to, in return, commit themselves to God. And so it's in this context uh, that the, the law or the Ten Commandments are given. Um, so with that, let's jump into reading the text. Um, so it'd be great if you would uh, please start us off, Sky, with Exodus 19, verses 1 through 9. Mm -hmm. yeah. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim and came into the wilderness of Sinai, and they encamped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him out of the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the people of Israel, 
You yourself have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So Moses came and called the elders of the people and set before them all the words that the Lord had commanded him. All the people answered together and said, All that the Lord has spoken we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. Wow. Notice how this is a commitment ceremony, just like a wedding. So God commits himself to his people. In verse five, he says, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be treasured possession among all the people. So he's giving the if like, hey, will you accept this? My my hand in this covenant. Um, and verse eight says, all the people answered together and says, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses reported the words of the people to the Lord. So we see this kind of efficient covenant coming together. Um, and so God commits himself to his people and the people commit themselves to God. Um, and they make their vows to God, right? It's kind of like the big I do. Um, so the Ten Commandments, which are going to follow in chapter 20, um, are what married life will look like. Uh, for those who have pledged these vows to him. So that's what we're going to pick up reading now. So God's law, which we're going to read um, in chapter 20, is like, okay, now that you've made this uh, covenant, now that we're in this relationship together, this is what this looks like for you to obey my voice. So Anna, would you read Exodus 20 verses 1 through 17 for us? Sure. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. 
Thanks so much, Anna. So this is what it looks like to live out our marriage covenant with God. Um, And it's worth noting here, it's just mentioning that like this notion that this covenant is analogous to a marriage covenant is um, extraordinary, especially when you think about the two very different parties involved within this covenant. Um, right, God, and then us as people. Um, and so, although there is there is like this follows some of the forms of marriage in a covenant in that way, there are ways in which it's different. And so, we do want to take a minute to just kind of um, point that out and draw that out because, for like most of us, we're like, could you imagine after you get married, you're like, I do, and then getting handed a series of, and this is what you will not do in light of it, right? And God is able to do this because He is God. It's not between two human equals. Um, in the same way. So there, there adds a different dimension. So um, I don't know if either one of you have anything to add to that. Yeah. So what I would just add to that, Bernea, is we don't want to overplay the analogy with human marriage. Although we do have expectations in a human marriage, like that you'll be faithful to me or that we'll love one another and live together and share our lives together. It's a little bit different to be in a marriage relationship with God, and He can set the terms of what it looks like to live life with Him, and that's why He gives the Ten Commandments to to describe to them, because they wouldn't know. They don't know God in the way that we can know other human beings, so they wouldn't know what was required of being in a relationship with a perfect and holy God, and so He's starting to tell them by giving Him these initial commandments. Yeah, and especially thinking of them coming right out of Egypt, where they really didn't have a relationship at all with God before that. Um, so just remembering that context. And then, yeah, Anna, just what you were saying, um, how they, this is God telling them, this is how you are in a covenant relationship with me. This is how you love me. Great. And when I think about, you know, um, again, how the analogy doesn't perfectly stand is because in a in a human marriage, both people give like, hey, these are my vows, which we see that commitment, but then also both people kind of lay out their expectations and God doesn't need us to do that because he knows already how to love us perfectly, right? He's loving us perfectly in the decision to choose us, to pursue us and to commit to us. Um, and so, yeah, it really is us learning what it means to be in relationship with a perfect and holy God. Um, so with an eye to that, let's take a look, let's just break down these commandments. Um, so let's do that together. Sky, would you start us off? Yeah. Um, so with these commandments, the Ten Commandments, I'll kind of look at the first half of them. Um, if you think of one through four, and I'll throw five in there too. Um, these commandments, and just to summarize them, you will have no other God. You will not bear an image. Uh, you will not make an image of me. You will not take the Lord's name in vain. Remember the Sabbath. Honor your father and mother. Um, and these are all kind of vertical commandments, especially those first four, where we are in relationship with God. So you think us then going up vertically to God. Um, And this is also summarized in Deuteronomy 6, 5, where it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Um, So that's what these first four commandments really are, how we love God. Um, And I mentioned the fifth one because honor your father and mother. um, If you think of God as our father, um, we also need to be honoring him. So there's a vertical aspect to that one as well. Yeah, we can also think of commandment number five to honor our father and mother. It's kind of a hinged commandment that is, I mean, all of these are part of honoring God, but it also is honoring our physical father and mother. And then the commandments six through 10 are horizontal in nature. They're more about how we relate to other people. You know, don't murder other people. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal from other people. Don't covet what they have. And again, these can actually be summed up 
um, and they are summed up later in the book of Leviticus, chapter 19, where it says, You shall not take vengeance or bear grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then a little bit later, it says, When a stranger sojourns with you in your land, you shall do him no wrong. You shall treat the stranger who sojourns with you as a native among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you were strangers in the land of Egypt. So this basic concept of love your neighbor as yourself, a very famous biblical concept, really sums up those commandments 6 through 10 in the Ten Commandments saying, like, this is what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. Some basic principles, don't murder your neighbor, (laughs) but more than that, love them as yourself. Awesome. So we see that the commandments are both vertical and horizontal. Um, And we're thinking through, okay, why? It's because God has given us these commandments to help us live in right relationship with himself um, and with others. Um, So let's just dive into this a bit more. Um, What is the purpose of this law of these 10 commandments? We've already kind of teased out a bit that it's to help us live in perfect relationship, but we know that there's even where there's more to that as we're diving in. So um, I would love your thoughts on that. Yeah, well, I guess first I would just say like the word you said there, Brene, relationship. And uh, these 10 commandments are relational. They're not salvific. So God's people have already been saved. Keeping the Ten Commandments are not going to save God's people. Um, but God gives these commandments, um, kind of reminds the people that these are ways that they can be in relationship with Him. These are ways that they can love Him. Um, and you think of what we read in Exodus 20, verse 2, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Um, just kind of God is saying, I am your God, um, and it is what I have done. Um, I have already saved you, and you're not going to be saved just based on whether you keep these commandments or not. And we see other things like that in Deuteronomy 9, not because of your righteousness. It's not because of what the people have done. Um, It's what God has done, what he is reaching out to them, and he's reaching out to them to be in relationship with them. He has created us in Christ Jesus for good works, as we see in Ephesians in the New Testament. Yeah, and it gives shape to what that relationship should look like. Again, we sort of already said this, but this idea that what does it mean to be in a relationship with God? I mean, as these Israelites were coming out of Egypt with all these gods, the God of the sky and the God of the lake and the God of the gnat, you know, what in the world does it look like to be in a covenant relationship? Like, yes, we will be your people, but what what does that mean? So the commandments that God gives helps to show the people what it looks like to live in relationship with him. Yeah. And to piggyback off of that, Anna, thinking through like, okay, what's the purpose? It's also um, that teaching us to live in relationship with one another is actually something that God's people need to be taught. As Sky pointed out, they're coming out of years in captivity, years and not just having kind of autonomy over their own life and space and decisions. Um, So just knowing like, yeah, I don't want you to murder. I don't want you to steal. I don't want you to lie. Um, Like how to speak to one another, not to covet. Um, that God is saying like, hey, this is how you can be a unified body and in relationship with me in that unity. And I think another kind of purpose of these commandments, um, a little bit of a different thought, but I think the purpose is to also show God's people um, that we need God's forgiveness, grace, and mercy. Mm. Because you see these commandments and 
if you go through all of them, you think, okay, can I keep these? Can I not? Like, I think it's a lot easier and all of us have never murdered someone. Um, and it's easier to do that, but I know I've lied. Um, and probably everyone else have lied at some point. Uh, so God gives us these standards to live by. Um, but then these standards, part of the purpose is also showing us that we can't do this on our own. And we need to rely on God's forgiveness, on his grace, on his mercy. Um, and Leviticus will actually pick up um, with more of the law, kind of answering the question, what happens when I break these um, commandments. What happens when I break these laws? And that's the whole sacrificial system, um, which we're not going to really touch on now. Another cool aspect of the law is, you know, we talked about with Abraham, how God said, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing to the nations. And sometimes we don't always think about keeping the law or keeping the Ten Commandments as an outward looking thing to do, but that is how God understood it. And he told the people that he gave them these statutes and rules so that other nations would look at them and be like, wow, what a wise people. Like, who is their God? <laughs> I want to have a God like that. Like, you know, who, who showed them such a good way to live? And so that's in Deuteronomy chapter 4, 5 through 9, um, 5, 5 and 6, that Moses talks about this. And it's the same concept that Jesus even touches on in the New Testament in Matthew 5, where he said, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So the keeping and giving of the law is not just for their benefit and their relationship to God, but it's also for the benefit of those around them. First of all, that they would treat them in appropriate ways, but also that they would see the goodness of God demonstrated in God's people. I really appreciate that last point, Anna. Um, it is for the good of others, right? When we're letting our light shine for other people to see uh, God working in us and through us and in our lives. And um, with a mindset that also reminds me that it's for our own good too, um, right? That like God gives us the law um, to keep us safe and to keep us in good relationship with him and with others. So Deuteronomy 10 uh, verses 12 to 13 says this really well. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to observe the Lord's commands and decrees that I'm giving you today for your own good. So those last three words, for your good, um, just reminds us that like God as our creator actually knows how we're supposed to be working, how we should be operating, what is good for us, what is not. Like he has the manual. He knows all of our parts, the ins and outs of our hearts. Um, so like he knows what is best. Um, and so when we sin, we go against God. This is kind of like our kind of declaration of independence. No, I know what's best. It's saying we're saying, hey, God, we know what's the good things for us. So God's law um, is not some like arbitrary kind of testing of commitment to him, which we can feel like, oh, do you love me? Do you not? That's not what it is. Um, nor does God give his law because he's like some cosmic killjoy and wants to sap all the joy out of life. He gives his law for our good. As we're thinking of the purpose of these commandments, it's helpful to remember that the same God who gave Israel these commandments is the same God that we serve today. So he cares about the same types of things that he cared about then. And we can kind of see this when Jesus reaffirms these commandments um, in Matthew 22. Uh, verses 37 through 40 read, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart, 
with all, and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So we literally see this parallel um, to what I just read to you in Deuteronomy, right? Fearing God, um, loving him, serving, serving him with all your heart, with all your soul. We see Jesus reaffirming that. Um, and so with that in mind, I think it would be helpful for us if we think about um, what it actually looks like to apply just living out just one of these commandments in our lives today. Um, so would you two mind just kind of taking a stab at that? Um, and one thing I think might be helpful when we do this is to think through maybe other scriptures in the Bible that kind of support the command. Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, even thinking about the third commandment, you know, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, in some ways, I think that could just sound weird to us because of the vain. It's a weird word, but vain is sort of lightly or without the proper reverence and awe that God should be treated with, you know, like vanity of vanities, all is vanity, like Ecclesiastes would say. So all is a wind or a breath. So you don't want to treat God's name like that. You don't want to treat it lightly because that's not appropriate to who the character of God is. And that's just as much true now as it was um, back when Moses gave this law. And we remember that even Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 6, 9, when he taught them how to pray, he, it begins, you know, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And hallowed is like set apart, holy, reverenced, special, you know, hallowed be your name. And, and that really is a reiteration of this commandment. And we see it all through scripture, God's name being hallowed in the Psalms and even David praising the Lord that no other name is as great or majestic as the name of God. So in our lives, I think the application is we just want to seek to revere and honor God. And one of the main ways we do that is through our speech. Um, and that would be how you honor everyone if you speak of a friend mockingly or lightingly, or you use their name as the butt of a joke, or that would not be honoring to them. So when we understand and believe that God, God is majestic and God is holy, we'll respond by revering him and by revering his name and not, not treating that flippantly or, or casually. Yeah. And I guess practically thinking for us, like what does it look like to revere God's name? And maybe even more specifically, what does it look like not to revere God's name? Mm -hmm. um, I know that when we're angry um, or frustrated, um, it's easy not to hold God's name up to the um, just standard that it needs to be used. And it's easy for us when we're anxious or um, just carelessly kind of throwing out the phrase, oh, my God. Um, that, or if we want to emphasize like our truthfulness or a promise or something, we might be, say, I swear to God, such and such. Um, and I think we need to be careful uh, because I don't think those phrases are really upholding God's name and giving up the reverence that it deserves. I think that's actually a way where um, we could be offending God um, when we are offending God to use his name just so callously or casually um, without even thinking about God at all. Just as a funny story along those lines, Sky, I play on a volleyball team in non-COVID times, and some of my teammates will use Jesus Christ as an expletive 
when they mess up a hit and there's one other Christian woman on the team. And so whenever they say Jesus Christ, she'll always say, Lord and Savior, <laughs> just to be Praise like, his name. that is my Lord and Savior. And it just makes everyone knows that both of us are Christians. So we say it together now. We're like, Lord and Savior. Um, and But I think it helps in a lighthearted way. But it also reminds people that we're sort of taking that name a little bit more, you know, more seriously than they are taking it. So mm-hmm. I always think of, of that example. Yeah. Yeah, that's really funny, Anna. It it reminds me, I'm like, you know, no one would say like, I swear on my, you know, life savings. I swear on my 401k. Like you'd actually take pause and say, wait a second, if I can't uphold this, do I really? And so just realizing like God's name carries so much more weight than your life savings or your retirement or your entry into med school, right? Would you say I swear on my entry into med school? Like we wouldn't say that. Um, So just kind of like holding that up. So thanks for that story. That's fun. Thanks you both for just kind of thinking through, like, what does it look like um, for these commands, for the heart of what is expressed in Exodus and Jesus reaffirms in Matthew to be lived out today. And one last thing that comes to my mind is that, like, this commandment and the commandments are important to God, not just because of what comes out of our lips, our mouth, but also because of what's in our hearts, right? And the easiest way scripture tells us to know what's in our hearts is to listen what comes out of our mouth. Um, and so Matthew 12, 34 says from the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So just kind of what you say when you're stressed or angry or, you know, those kinds of things is how we can see them what's in our hearts. And so just realizing that like God wants our entire selves, our minds, our hearts, our mouths, that commandment says like with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, um, God wants it all. He's not just looking for the checkbox. I didn't say this thing today, but like what's in our hearts um, and realizing that that is what loves him and honors him. And the commandments are that like God is giving us a roadmap of, Hey, this is how you live in this, you know, right relationship with me. So that's what we see. That's what happens in Exodus. Um, So I think it's just so beautiful um, that in the midst of coming into this covenant, God's like, hey, like, I love you and um, I've chosen you and I've pursued you and you're going to need some help with figuring out how to do this because I happen to be perfect and I've chosen you even though that you're not. And so the commandments, again, are offered out of that love. Um, so with that in mind, um, I, I know I've been challenged, um, even just as we prepared for this study, because the 10 commandments can easily feel like a very do this, don't do that because I'm God and you better listen to me. And there is this aspect of, um, his godhood and obedience, um, but it is rooted from this place of love. So with that in mind, I just want to invite you this week, um, to consider these questions as we're preparing for Bible study and you're just kind of going throughout your week, just consider one of the Ten Commandments and just think about why is it important to God? Um, and what's one practical way that you can obey it? Um, like, how are you living to show that the command is important to you because it's important to the God who created you, the God with whom you are in relationship? So thank you so much, brothers and sisters, for joining us. And we'll see you back next week. Bye-bye.